from the survey. You can see they're awesome. Everybody wants to come to church at 9.45 and 10. That's not a surprise. You see that big number over there between 10 at 10 o'clock? We have 82 elementary school kids. So some of y'all will be volunteering for that. Thankfully, I have a job at 10 o'clock, so I'm unavailable. Don't tell Penny I said that. So, so here's what we're going to do. Kind of in the, I think it's kind of in the mode of all good leaders. What we're going to do with the decision is punt. We're going to delay um, for a little bit. Let me tell you why. This is not surprising to me. It's not surprising to y'all. It's what we knew. I just wanted to see, I really wanted to see 8.15, 11.45, which one of those looked better. Um, that was my main goal in all of that was to figure out if it was better to go early or late. But the big thing, I think, with all of this, as we've started thinking seriously about moving, adding a third service in the morning, is it doesn't feel great at this point. It doesn't seem to feel great to anyone who I'm talking to. We went from one to two. It wasn't a big deal. We kept going. Even when we added the five, it wasn't a huge deal. But for some reason, doing three in the morning seems different, and I think it's because it's going to affect our culture in some ways. We're going to have to shorten the service or shorten transition time, something we feel like something is going to change, and it's giving some pause, uh, at least to me. And so we just want to make sure that we get it right. So this is my what I'm asking for y'all. Specifically, I, just, I want y'all to pray. Um, I'm going to share two pictures that people gave me over the course of the last eight or nine months, and these things may tie in to this third service decision, and they may not. But just two things that have come up in my heart over the last three or four weeks. Back in November, uh, at our 5 o'clock service, a guy shared a picture. and It was me, and I was frustrated, and I had a trash can, and I had it upside down, and I was shaking it. Like I was trying to get something out of the trash can, and this guy's not prone to visions or anything. And he shared that, and I said, all right, and I took it. And a couple of weeks later, our staff was praying about that. I couldn't really get that picture out of my head. And one of our staff members said they saw a picture of me, and I had a book, and a page was ripped out. And I took, a page, I took a piece of paper out of the trash can, and I put it in the book, and then the book was complete again. And that, that may have nothing to do with us moving forward, but for some reason in my heart, I'm connecting those two things, and it's causing me to slow down a bit. I want to make sure that we haven't lost anything that was essential to who we are as a church. I want to make sure that moving forward, we don't do that. It's not worth it to any of us to lose something core to our identity to add Another service. And so I'm just slowing down, want to make sure we're hearing the Lord on this. If those pictures resonate with you and you feel like you have something to share, please send me an email and I'd be happy to, to get some input on that. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing until we do something else and we do something else. Y'all will be the first to know. So that's what we're doing right now. So again, y'all can pray for us. Our staff, this specifically in June, we're resting. Uh, every Thursday, that doesn't mean we're going to the pool. We're just taking time really to spend with the Lord and say, God, what are you saying to us? We, we do believe in that rhythm that says rest and then work. You work from a place of rest. So June is a slow month for us. We're trying to spend time with God saying, what do you want for us as we move into July and August and the rest of the year? So if you think of us on Thursday, you can just pray that on Thursdays that we would have some revelation on all of these things in terms of how to move forward. So there's your update. Luke 8. Last week, set up, Jesus is going around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, and the good news is it's here. God's rule and his reign are breaking into our lives through the person and the work 
of Jesus. That means I can be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the benefits of the kingdom of God are pressing into our world. God is pushing back the kingdom of darkness, reversing the effects of the fall, and establishing his kingdom, his rule, and his reign on the earth. So that's the good news. And last week we, spoke, we focused specifically on this idea of hearing well. That's what the first 21 verses of chapter 8 are about. They're all about how you hear. And we looked, uh, spent most of our time on the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. In that parable, there's a farmer, he sows seed. That seed represents the word of God on four different types of ground. And that ground represents our heart. And you have four choices. You're hard, that means you're resistant to the gospel. You're rocky, that you're shallow, that means you say yes initially, but you don't develop deep roots. And when a time of testing comes, you fall away. You're thorny or you're crowded. You say yes to the gospel, but as the word of God begins to grow in your life, there's so many other things competing for your attention that those other things choke out the word of God in your life. And I said, in our affluent society, that's where most of us live. Most of us, our soil is crowded. And then there's good soil, which is what we want to be, which is receptive. And there were lots of different pictures of that in those 21 verses. Those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. That was one of the ones that Jesus talked about. Those three women that we looked at at the very beginning of chapter 8 who said yes to Jesus and reoriented their whole life around following him. This idea of hearing well And that's what we want to do. We want to hear well. Moving forward, the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at four miracles. Boom, 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 coming up in Luke 8. And they're they're under the same umbrella. Jesus is still proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but he's doing it uh, through demonstrations, not through sermons. He's doing it through actions and not through words. Same heading. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But you'll notice as we move ahead with these miracles, you'll see Jesus talks very little. There's a lot of action, very little dialogue, very little, very few statements that he's making, still proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And so our response is still the same, or our responsibility is still the same, asking, what does it look like for me to hear this well? What does it look like for me to receive this word in a good soil that will produce a harvest in my life? What does it look like for me to hear this and put it into practice? So with that in mind, Luke 8, this isn't an... Uh, This is an iconic miracle story. You most likely have heard this at some point in your life if you've been in church. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they asked, as they sailed, excuse me, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up. That's the pivotal action in this story. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The the storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? That's a pivotal question. Where's your faith? Jesus asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So the action there is pretty straightforward. Jesus, most likely just with the 12 disciples, get in a boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. This is a boat uh, that they found in the Sea of Galilee about 30 years ago. They refer to it as the Jesus boat. It's not the one that he was on. It didn't sink. But it's probably something like what they were sailing on. And you can see the, the restored version of that to the right. That boat is 25 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and 4 feet high. So you can kind of picture what that looked like. Four guys would row, one guy would steer. There's probably room 
for 14 or 15 more people in it. So you're talking 19 or 20 people uh, in the boat. So Jesus plus his 12, that's most likely who's in the boat. Mark has this same story, and he tells us they set off in the evening. So Jesus and his disciples get in a boat like this. They're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Four of those guys, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were all fishermen by trade, and this was their lake. So they knew this lake. They set out in the evening. I don't know at this point if it's dark or not, but moving in that direction. And a squall comes up, which apparently is not unusual, on the Sea of Galilee. So think very intense wind that whips up very high waves. It's brief in duration, but very intense. Jesus, according to Mark, is asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion. The disciples are freaking out in the rest of the boat. And at some point... They say, we've got to do something about this. Now, men, you're in a boat with 11 other guys. How scared do you have to be to admit, hey, we need to wake him up? It's, it's bad. The, Luke says they're in great danger. Mark says they're, they, they go to Jesus and say, do you, don't you care if we drown? They, they feel like their life is in danger here. They go and wake up Jesus. He's only 25 feet away. It's not that far. They go wake him up. Pivotal action. He wakes up, calms everything down, which is easy to overlook, but pretty amazing that he controls the weather, gets the wind to stop. Once the wind stops, the waves subside. And he says to them, pivotal question, where's your faith? And they're shocked, awe. Who is this? That's the most important question anybody will ever answer in their life. Who is this? And the rest of the miracles go on to explain who he is. So again, a pretty, pretty straightforward story there. I think there's several, I see maybe two miracles. One is that somehow Jesus stayed asleep in the boat. Have you, you've been on an airplane and it's hit turbulence. What do you do? You wake up. Nobody sleeps through that. Take Dramamine, you're still waking up. You've been in a car. And you're kind of nodding and somebody jerks the wheel and you bang your head on You wake up. It's turbulent. I'm assuming these guys are hollering, maybe squealing like girls. I'm not sure. But I'm like, they're scared. There's water coming in the boat. Mark says the boat is in danger of being swamped. The waves are high. It's only a four-foot tall boat. Waves are coming in underneath. I don't know how he's staying asleep. Maybe he's putting them on. I actually think, honestly, and you'll, as we talk about it, you'll see where I'm coming from. I actually think there's something supernatural here that he actually is asleep in the middle of this storm. And then the disciples wake him up and, and he calms the storm. Where is your face? So the question for us, if Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God through this miracle, what's he saying? What is the good news that he is proclaiming through this demonstration of power. If you've been in the church for a while, your answer is probably, well, he calms storms. Like, that's the good news. We all go through difficult times in our life. We live in chaos. We all have storms arise. And the good news is that Jesus will calm those storms. And that may very well be true. I don't want to jump there yet. I'm actually going to come from a different perspective. You can hold on to that, and you can walk out and still say, that's what I'm hanging on to, which is 100% fine with me. I'm kind of looking at it from this side. The caveat is I didn't start thinking about this in this way till about one in the morning. So it's not fully formed in my head, but I think it's good. 
So here's the question. What's he saying? What's the good news that Jesus is proclaiming about the kingdom in this story? I don't think Jesus wanted to calm the storm. I think he calmed the storm as a concession to their fear, not as a response to their faith. I don't think calming the storm was his number one uh, priority or goal for the night. I think he wanted them to let him sleep. I really do. I think, I think calming the storm, again, was a concession to their fear. It was not a response to their faith. And the reason I say that is because his question is, where's your faith? Throughout Luke, we've seen multiple examples of people coming to Jesus with a need and him responding to their approach and commending them for their faith and ministering, meeting that need in some way. In 440, uh, people from all over this town are coming, bringing their sick, and Jesus heals every one of them. Uh, There's a a leper. Jesus is walking through town. A leper approaches him, falls down on his face before Jesus and says, you know, make me clean. And Jesus says, absolutely. He heals him right there. Story of a paralytic. He can't get to Jesus, but four of his friends put him on a mat, carry him to Jesus, cut a hole in someone's roof, and drop this guy in front of Jesus. And Jesus responds to their faith. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus heals this guy. The centurion's servant, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. This guy is a Gentile soldier, doesn't feel worthy to approach Jesus, sends a delegation of Jewish leaders to say, my servant is sick. Will you heal him? And as Jesus approaches his house, he sends another delegation of his friends to say, You're not, I, I can't have you in my house. I'm not worthy to have you in my home. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is amazed at his faith. That's the word. Only time in the Bible we see Jesus amazed at someone's faith. And, he, and in this, the, the servant is healed in that moment. All of those examples, and we'll see more as we press on in Luke, people with a significant need, Approach Jesus. That approach is their expression of faith. Faith and trust are synonyms. They have to be expressed. The approach to Jesus is the expression of faith or trust. They're saying, I know you can do something about this situation. He responds and he commends them for their faith. The disciples feel like they're about to die. And four of them are experienced fishermen. Luke, who's understated, says they're in great danger. Mark says the boat is about to be swamped. It seems like that's a legitimate need. They think they're going to die. And so they approach Jesus, and they wake him up. And rather than commending them for their faith, he says, where is your faith? That, to me, says that wasn't option number one on his list. That was not the desired response that he was looking for. So what was the desired response? What is faithfulness look like for the disciples on that boat? I said it earlier. I think it was to let him sleep. You only have two choices. You either wake him up or you let him sleep. And either one of those things can be done from a posture of fear or faith. The disciples woke him up out of fear, I believe. They could have woken him up out of faith, but they didn't. Jesus can see the heart. Their actions look the same on the outside. Jesus looks at the heart and he knows they're they're motivated by fear and not faith. They could have let him sleep out of fear or faith. Fear, maybe he's Awful when you wake them up in the morning they're like, the storm is better than him. If you wake them up too early, I don't know. I think what he was looking for was for them, again, to let him sleep. Every, not every other time. Often in the Gospels we see people approach him with needs and he says, because of your faith. or He commends people for their faith and he heals ministers and whatever that 
physical need is, not so with his disciples. What's the difference? These guys are his friends. They've been with him day after day, week after week, month after month. I'm thinking it's at least a year into his time with him at this point. They're living together as this traveling band of miracle-working, good news-proclaiming men and women. That's what they're doing. These folks who are approaching him that we read in the Bibles are strangers. They're coming based on reputation. I hear Jesus is a miracle worker. I hear he's raised people from the dead. I hear he's opened the eyes of people who are blind. I know he's healed diseases, and that's what I've got, and he's my only shot, and so I'm going to approach him. And it's faith. It truly is faith that he's recognizing in their hearts. But they're strangers. The disciples aren't strangers. It's interesting to me that when Jesus asked the question, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when he asked them about their faith, neither, none of those guys say that he rebukes them. He doesn't do that. I don't think he's angry with them. I think it's that, uh, that disappointment that you feel when you love somebody and they don't get how much you love them. I think that's what's going on here. I think he's saying to them when they wake him up, he calms the storm, where's your faith? I think what's in his mind is, did y'all really think I was going to let you die? Did you think I was going to sleep while you drowned? After all of the time we've spent together, after all of the things we've been through together, everything you've heard me say, everything you've seen me do, do you really think I'm the kind of guy to let my 12 closest friends die in a boat while I'm asleep in the stern? I think that's where he's... I think they don't get it. And I think he's disappointed in that kind of parental or friend way. When you're talking with somebody and they don't get it, they don't understand how much you love them. The disciples, I think, had some faith. I think they believed Jesus could calm the storm. I think that's why they woke him up. They'd seen him work all kinds of miracles. They'd seen multiple displays of power, the ones that we have listed and others that were not recorded. So I don't think there was, I think, at least on some level, they thought he, he can do something about this. They hadn't seen him do any miracles regarding nature, but it's not a big stretch if he raised someone from the dead to say he can probably, if anybody can handle this, he can handle it. I think they had some faith. But when he asked them, where is your faith, I think their response would have been, well, it's in your power. I have faith in your ability to fix this situation. I have faith in your ability to calm the storm. And I think what he was looking for was... Where's your faith? My faith is in your character. My faith is in your heart for me. My faith is in the fact that you love me and that even though you're asleep in the boat, I know you've got this. I know you're not going to let me drown. Even though you're asleep, I know you're not going to let me drown. I think he was looking for them to move from faith in his power to faith in his character. At this point, the disciples are that rocky soil. They've said yes to Jesus. They're all in. They fully embraced him in terms of their lifestyle, but their roots still aren't very deep. They're tested during this storm, and it shows they're they're not there yet. They're motivated by fear. They're reacting to fear. They don't believe, they don't trust that Jesus can keep them safe and will keep them safe through the storm. And I wonder for us how many of us are in that same spot. We've said yes And we trust, we know his ability to do things. I know he can heal. I know he can provide. I know he can speak. I know he can lead. I know he can reconcile. I know he can restore. Absolutely. And we want to continue to ask for God to do all of those things. But at some point, 
there comes a time in our life where I think he says, I'm going to go to sleep. Again, I think it was supernatural that Jesus slept through that storm. Supernatural, whatever, Dramamine that he took. That allowed him to stay asleep. Because that was the deal, I think. Will you trust me when I'm not here moving all the pieces around? Will you trust me when I'm not fixing everything? He's about to send them out on their first mission trip, first ever short-term mission trip. He's about to send them out, and he's not going to go with them. He goes somewhere else, and he sends them out two by two into different towns. And it's not necessarily going to be easy for them. And I think he wants to know, are, y'all going to, are you going to hang in there if it's difficult? Are you going to hang in there if people persecute you? Are you going to hang in there if you get thrown in jail? Y'all know what happens to, many of you know what happens to the disciples later in their life. Ten of eleven die gruesome deaths. Are you going to hang in there when I'm not calming that storm? Are you going to stick with me when I'm not changing those circumstances? He just he wants to know. And the answer at this point is not yet. And the answer ultimately is, yeah, they get there. So there's hope for us as well. And so my question to you this morning, there's two perspectives. Let's see them up there on the screen. The picture on the right is from the 1600s. It's a painter that you've never heard of. Well, at least I've never heard of him. Maybe you took art appreciation. I didn't. Uh, his name is Ludolf Backhusen. Anybody heard of him? I didn't think so. So he painted that picture. That's a human perspective of what was going on on the Sea of Galilee. That's what the disciples are experiencing. Massive waves, strong wind. It's dark, and he's asleep. And they don't know when the thing's going to end. They think they're going to die. The picture on the right is God's perspective. That's what he sees. I've got it, and I've got you. And he wants you to know that. And so the question again, where are you giving in to fear? What are you trying to control? It's interesting. People push back from Jesus because they say, I don't, I don't want him running my life. I want to stay in control. I want to stay in the driver's seat. Control is just an illusion. And on our best day, we know that. I can control my behavior, and that's it. I can't control my kids. I can't control my wife. I can't control the guy in traffic next to me. I can't control the government. I can't control the stock market. I can't, they're all kind, most of the things that affect me, I, have, I can't control I push back from him because I want to be in control. And I'm pushing back from the only person who actually can stay in the boat with me. I'm pushing back from the one who says, just, I got this. I'll actually ride in the boat with you through the storm. I can calm it, but even if I don't, I'm not going anywhere. And I'll see you through it. I don't know if that's where you are this morning. There's circumstances swirling in your life. You feel like that picture on the left I want to encourage you over the next few minutes to, what does it look like? What's a faithful response that you can shift in the direction of that picture on the right? And I don't know what the answer is for you. Does that mean you can never pray for your circumstances to change? Absolutely not. The question is, what is a faithful response where I am? In, the, in, in light of what's going on in my life, God, what is the faithful response? Is the faithful response... To ask and to fast and to get others to pray and to beg and change this. I know you can. Or is the faithful response to wait and say, I know you can. 
But even if you don't, I'm good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my favorite verses in the Bible. Daniel 3. These three guys, they're in Babylon, pagan empire. Nebuchadnezzar goes on this huge ego trip, builds a massive statue of himself and says, every time the music plays, everybody's got to worship me. They all got to worship this statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were strong Jews, and they say, no, not breaking that commandment, not bowing down to other gods. I'm not going to do that. Nebuchadnezzar's irate, and he pulls them in, and he says, what do you mean you're not bowing down? They said, we're not going to do it. He said, I'm going to give you one more chance. They heat up the furnace as hot as they can get it. The music is about to play, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to him, King, listen, we're not bowing down. Our God can deliver us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to do it. That's faith through a storm. God can fix it, but even if he doesn't, I'm not getting angry. I'm not getting bitter. I'm not taking my ball and going home. I'm not hardening my heart. I may be hurt. I may be disappointed, but I'm not quitting. I'm not going anywhere. You're the one who can see me through. At some point in your life, there will be a storm, and he will not calm it. For him, deep roots trump comfort all day long. Us moving from trusting his power to his character is vital for our growth and formation as sons and daughters. And so he will say, I'm not going to fix this. I'm not leaving you. I'm still in the boat. But I'm not going to fix this. I need to know, are you going to stay? This is where your roots grow deep. We're going to take communion here in a second. And this is what I want you thinking about as we do. Are you in a storm, things chaotic, out of control in your life? One of the things you can ask is, what am I afraid of? And most likely, whatever you're afraid of, you try to control that. You plan, you save, you strategize. Those things aren't necessarily terrible, but a lot of times those are our ways of trying to control situations and people and variables that we can't control. So what are you afraid of? Sub-question, what are you trying to control? That may help you recognize what you're afraid of, what's swirling in your life. Second thing, what does it look like for you to respond faithfully to him in that situation? I can't tell you the answer. You've got to hear him. You've got to be led by him on that. I don't, again, I don't want you hearing me saying you can't pray for your circumstances to change. That oftentimes is the, that is the expression of faith. God, I believe that you can work in this situation. But there will be times for all of us where the right answer is don't do anything. I'm going to, I'm sleeping, and you let me sleep. And that's an expression of trust. You not waking me up means you trust me enough to see you through this, even though you know I can make it better. So we're going to pray. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to follow along with me in prayer. And then after that, we'll have communion and some ministry time. So I'll just kind of stick with me as we pray. God, I pray uh, now that you would come and that you would speak to us. I want to pray particularly for the men and women in this room who feel like they're in that boat on the left. There's something in their life that's chaotic, it's, it's out of control. They feel like they're in danger of being swamped. God, I pray that you would speak very clearly to them. What is a faithful response? What does faithfulness look like in that situation?
Is it to ramp up prayer? Is it to fast? Is it to reach out to somebody? Is it to sit quietly? Is it to worship? What's the response? What does faithfulness look like? God, I I do believe there's some and you want to change their circumstances and we pray you would do that. And I'm confident there are some and you're saying I'm not. I'm not fixing this right now. I'm with you and men and women, you need to hear that. He is with you. Lack of action does not mean lack of presence. He is with you. He's just not doing anything. And he's not not doing anything because you're messing up or because he doesn't care or because he doesn't see. He just wants you to trust him. Even when he's asleep. So God, speak and lead us in that. God, I pray particularly for those who are prone to martyrdom. Whatever the hardest thing is, that's what they're going to do. The assumption is always the hardest road is the way you're leading them down. Speak very clearly to them about faithfulness during this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion, and here's the instructions for how to do that. will be on the screen behind me. We have gluten-free communion here up on these uh, tables. We're also going to have ministry teams up in the corners. And so if you're on the ministry team, if you go ahead and come forward, go ahead and serve yourself communion. Communion teams, y'all can come as well. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay seated. Chad's going to sing. Kim will walk you through uh, when you come forward. But otherwise, I want you to stay seated. And I want you to look at this, this verse, this passage that's up on the screen. And this is what I want you thinking about as you take communion. It's a passage where Paul says, I'm praying that you would understand how much God loves you. That's the summary of what's going on. If we want to trust his character, we need to know how much he loves us. As you grow in your ability to comprehend his love for you, it will make it easier and easier for you to trust him, particularly when his actions don't make sense. So those two things go hand in hand. Courage does not drive out fear. Love drives out fear. And so as we grow in love, there's less and less room for fear to operate in our life. So I'm going to pray again as we go into communion. Then Kim will uh, pull you up a row at a time. And then after we take communion, we'll close with a worship song. If the prayer teams are full when you come forward, you can sit on those chairs or on that pew and wait for them. And please do allow us to pray for you about anything that's going on in your life. God, we do thank you uh, for communion. We thank you for what it represents, the death of your son on our behalf. I think of this idea as we're saying, God, can I trust you? Can I put my faith in your character, not just your actions, the fact that you sent your son, you sacrificed him in order to create opportunity to have relationship with us. If you're willing to do that, how much more? Fill in the blank. And so I pray for those who come forward with a bit of trembling in their heart this morning. Can I trust? God, as they break off a piece of bread and dip it in juice, with that physical act, God, I pray that you would feed their spirit. That you would increase our capacity to comprehend the magnitude of your great love for us. How wide and long and high and deep 